perfectly generic podcast contains spoilers, occasional adult language, and Vriska. You've been warned. Hell's bells, heavens to Murgatroyd, and Jesus Christopher Kringlefucker. It's the perfectly generic podcast. Ah, uh, right. So as you may be able to tell from from the dulcet tones assaulting your ears, uh, Kate's not here this week. Um, she's uh, arse deep in the Overwatch League, um, a nightmare job which none of us envy her for whatsoever. Um, but it means that she's not here to record the podcast. Uh, so it's going to be me, Pip, hello, and a returning guest, Paige. Hello, I'm back. I'm to talk about less horrible things this time. <laughs> yes, you may remember Paige from episode 19, which was our episode uh, about. Well, it was. Well, it was something. You were talking about the the Skynet controversy, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, it's it's very good to uh, have you back on much more uh, pleasant terms this time yeah. around. <laughs> so, Pip, what is your, what's your history in the Homestuck fandom? When did you first start reading it? Okay, well, so um, I actually don't remember all that clearly. I know I started reading Homestuck somewhere around uh, the region of uh, 2010, um, 2011. I bounced off it really hard, actually, the first time. I, didn't, I don't think I got past uh, Act 1, um, at all. And I, maybe it wasn't I bounced off. I think maybe I just got distracted by something and wasn't really captivated enough at the time. Anyway, uh, I came back a year later and got you know, utterly hooked as as uh, is usual, uh, is, as is prone as to happen. Do. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't really engage much with the fandom at all at the time, but I was still thinking a lot about it and writing and drawing stuff. And I wasn't really putting any of it out there or making any friends through it. And then um, cut to the end of 2018 when a podcast gets retweeted onto mm. my timeline. And uh, yeah, uh, the rest is is basically history. Um, I mean, you for those of you who are in the know about the podcast, you may know that I'm the one of the people uh, who is... Uh, responsible for the transcripts of the episodes so you're fucking welcome <laughs> um but we 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 i i sort of coordinate it but we we do have a, a a small group of people who do it and it's uh i'm very grateful for their help a lot of the time but um yeah so that that is pretty much uh where i'm at um Paige, do you want to just do a little brief reintroduction uh, of yourself as well. Yeah, so I'm Paige. I've been into Homestuck since around 2012. I got into it during one of the pauses when someone I was following on Tumblr tweeted a post that was like, here's a link to the first episode of Homestuck. And instead, it led to, you know, a young man stands in his bedroom yeah, this was the and period the rest where, is history. This was the period where people were pretending that Homestuck, well, 
they were pretending that Homestuck was an anime. This was, of course, before Homestuck literally became an anime. Became an anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it was just a meme and it hadn't, our memes were still just dreams, you know? <laughs> Oh dear. Yes. Uh, Homestuck is a story about memes becoming dreams and then those dreams becoming memes. It's a Mobius double reach around, really. One of many. <laughs> um, right. So uh, this week we're talking about our favourite disaster child, uh, Jake English. Who's Who the hell is Jake English? Maybe yeah, we... the, the man, the myth. The legend, the, the disaster, disaster, the boy, the <laughs> absolute lad, absolute lad. Right. Okay. So perhaps, perhaps we should start. Um, <clears throat> perhaps we should start with where we start in the story with Jake, which is the first time we ever get to hear from him. Which is in his uh, notes to Jake. Uh, <laughs> sorry? He said his notes to Jake. Oh, would... shit. Uh, to John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's, yeah, that's We're one of the, the things. Is, so, yeah. So, we hear from in his notes to John, which is included in the... He and Jade collaboratively put together for John, which is the the famous bunny. He lived time. Are actually yes. one of the many... One of many, the many, many bunnies. bunnies. There yes. are so many bunnies, yes. But the robot one, the robot one who can actually, like, do things. Yes. So, right. so Jake helps Jade build that. He's needled into building that by Calliope. And he collaborates with Jade across parallel universes in order to build this bunny for John. And so he includes a letter to John, or two letters, actually, to John in the box with the bunny. Um, and so the first one is... Uh, and that, well, yeah, the first one, he sort of introduces himself a bit, doesn't he? He, I have here that he mentions that he loves adventure, movies, uh, and wrestling. You know, scrums <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> um, oh, so, I mean, immediately we have... Uh, we have our sort of character details nailed down for Jake pretty early on in the story. Between that note and um, and what we know of Grandpa, Grandpa Harley, um, which is, I think we know about him, is that he loves the thrill of the hunt, uh, yes. globe trotting, and, well, well, we'll get to his other interests in a, in a little bit. What was your, do you remember when you first read Jake's uh, letter, what you sort of, your gut reaction was? Well, the thing is, in his letter, because at that point, no one really knows the, what the scratch is or what's exactly going on there. So he introduces himself or he hints that he is Jade's um grandson actually mm. and i thought that was really interesting because i think my first thought was like oh so whatever's gonna happen there's gonna be like a baby's ever after thing car cat's shipping chart will come true and they'll have <laughs> kids and their kids will have kids and i was like okay sure i guess you know i i wasn't really strongly i i remember my first read through i didn't really feel super strongly about any of the characters like oh i'm enjoying this and then after i finished catching up 
that's when I got hit with a truck full of feelings for Jade Harley. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, like, bef- and also um, Dave Jade, which was, like, my baby's first ship in the fandom. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, my God, they're going to have babies. This is great. I was just like, oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> and then by the time that Jake was introduced, I was like, okay, so that's not what's happening here anyway. You know? So yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I just didn't really have any thoughts. I just was like, oh, this is what's happening now. Okay. Yeah, it was very much like because Act 3 is where you start getting these hints, very subtle ones, actually, that the Guardians are going to be a bit of a bigger feature in the story than perhaps you had first understood them to be. Um, And... Ah. The the two things I can think of are, are when Rose is in her the Skynet lab um, and she sees the big terminal with all the meters on it. She also sees there's a screen which is not drawn attention to and is never mentioned in the text, but it, it shows the incipisphere, as you later come to understand it to be, with eight planets on it. And so that is that's that is foreshadowing all the way into like well into act six when the two sessions the the alpha and the beta sessions combine into one great big thing like i think to my mind that's the that's the uh most far-reaching bit of foreshadowing that the comic actually ever does Um, i can't think of one that goes further than that and the other thing is when Jade is introduced uh, and she goes through her house uh, we see Grandpa Harley's interests on lots of different floors Um, and Jade is the character she's the she's the last of the beta kids to be introduced and so she breaks the rule of three um, well, naturally by being the fourth, but there are rules that, that the story has, which it sets up with the first three kids that it, that they introduce. And Jade breaks pretty much all of them. Um, and similarly for the Guardians, there are rules which uh, the story establishes. Um, the, the Guardians each have these two-word um, interests that they have. Um, and, and Grandpa breaks the rule by not only having his own interests, but essentially having a collection of interests relating to all the three other guardians as well. Um, and if you if you go through that sequence, you'll see that there are lots of hints to the alpha kids in, in the various rooms. What I think that does hint to is like, and especially because part of this is canon now, we know because of Hive Swap that he was in both... Um, well, obviously, he grew up with Nana slash Jane, and he was in contact in, like, a business associate of Roxy slash Mom. Yes, yeah. And and it's unfortunate, um, but one of the things that the... Which we are not going for to... The, for the purposes of, of now, we're, this is not canonical material because it has been quite stringently redacted. Um, but one of the things that the, the, the Skynet... Uh, release did establish was that bro strider also was um in employment in a sense uh under mm. under jake and uh, under grandpa harley um so it it was the case that in fact all four of them were connected um and i'm sure that 
later on that will get established in a form that's a little bit less dire and awful. Unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the connectedness of the of the <clears throat> of the guardians is is established in I mean, it's established in the text. We uh we see um the connections between between the four of them but it um the the precise the precise nature of that is 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 left very ambiguous it's interesting because grandpa kind of the other guardians and even to um dad briefly because at some point when they're when all the guardians are, are then in the medium grandpa from like the past is also there somehow and it's never actually made clear exactly how he got there. Probably, it's like probably by the pads underneath the, um, the elevator in the Frog Temple. Yes, but how he yeah. managed to time travel is not clear. Um, but in any case, I, I don't. I don't think. I'm not quite sure that it's. I'm not quite sure it's time travel. The way I understand. Uh, the way I understand Grandpa to work is that he. Um, he enters. He enters the medium through some means. Before before the uh, before we see him for the first time, he then does everything in the medium, collects Jade's dead dream self and stuffs her, and then takes her back to Earth, um, and waits around for her meteor to appear. At which point, he then goes to the island and sets up with Baby Jade, and then while living there, he gets shot. It's unclear, but really what I was just trying to say is that um, him being acquainted with kind of does foreshadow that they will all be acquainted um, or in, in after the scratch. Yeah. The fact that it's never, but it's also the fact that in the letter, it's never made clear that a different version of grandpa, because in, in his words, and he believes this, he believes Jade is his grandma, and he's talking to his grandma's brother, to his, you know, yeah. alternate I, universe granddaughter's friend. You know, yes. I mean, well, that's the thing. The 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 sort of the bit of sleight of hand that happens is that Jade is Jake's grandmother. She's his adoptive grandmother, but she's still his I, grandmother nonetheless. Uh, in in the Alpha. Uh, universe but then when he contacts jade he's talking to jade in the beta universe and he but he believes that he's talking to his grand his own grandmother in the past neither of them probably have the language to to actually articulate what the real situation is so they just they just go along with it i'm not sure i'm not sure if when i first read it i i immediately clocked to the idea oh okay this is this is this is very grandpa harley-esque um, but it, but when you when you read it again, knowing who Jake is, it it becomes very clear that it's like ah oh, okay this is this is this is like if someone passed a nineteen twenties Southern American gent through a six sixteen uh, year old boy filter, um, <laughs> which is basically how I would sum up Jake English's um, sort of character design if 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 i needed a one word a one word sentence um so i suppose that actually should maybe we should have done this first but that that 
brings us to Jake's actual introduction. Your name is Jake. You love movies. All movies. You would describe your taste in film as eclectic, but in truth it isn't much less than totally indiscriminate. You bluster frequently of exuberance for firearms and fisticuffs and adventure, though have no human company with which to share these interests. But who needs chums when you can enjoy a top-notch gander of your gals of cerulean complexion, hubba hubba? You're known to be found with your nose in a comic book or two, not that it makes you a nerd or anything, like you even care about that. Not a gent of your panache and swagger, qualities which you would, were, qualities which you would bandy with a plomb on your globe-spanning adventures, hypothetically speaking. You would love to travel around the world, toppling any sacred urns you encountered. You'd be tickled by the opportunity to defile hallowed tombs everywhere, raiding them of their treasures, and how you'd give your right leg for a shot at desecrating the shit out of some real-life mystic ruins for the Byzantine wares. Luckily for your limb, there is a dandy set of such ruins nearby, and you desecrate them quite frequently. You are also troubled to contemplate frightening fauna, and plagued daily by their regrettable realness attribute. What else? You sure like to wrestle. Did you mention fisticuffs yet? You know, scrums and whatnot. Also skulls. Gosh, you love skulls. There is a good skull at the heart of any mystery, haunting its every page. That is what you always say. Or at least, it is what you always hope. Oh, I think what first occurs to me is that it seems like how much you love adventure and how much you love guns, but he doesn't actually say, I love adventure, I love guns, or it it doesn't say, you love adventure, you love guns. It's like he's trying to say that these things are true by saying that he's saying them, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think that really relates to his character a lot. Yeah, exactly. So um, so this concept of... of um, so actually, this... this uh, why don't we just um, go straight to the, the the part of the, the part that we were going to talk about uh, about the well one of the parts about the hope aspect because uh, something that is really important to Jake's character is this notion of um, realness and belief and believing in things to make them more real um, and. I don't know if this if this if this is the impression that you get, but to me it's uh, it. The impression that I get over the course of Jake's story is that um, a lot of these things that he is interested in, they're more like genuinely hypothetical interests that he sort of uh, hopes and, and, and dreams for and tries to make them less fake, as it were. Uh, and then, like a lot of things, it, it, it backfires for him quite miserably. Um, and it it turns out that he doesn't actually want want them quite so much. I I agree with that. I feel like to pop off as something he's not, and other times when he believes in something, it does come true. Things like um, I don't know, brain goes dirt, for example, when brain goes dirt becomes like a real thing um, after the hope explosion. You know, stuff like that, but also a lot of the time he's, like, desperately trying to believe in something that's not true and it just won't work. And I think it's interesting that maybe he never really ha believed in all along or the things that don't really come true, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, um, believing in things um, really strongly and believing in all his friends and so on, it's this thing that he keeps going on about, um, but it... 
a lot of it does come across, uh, and I, I think it's definitely intended to come across as this thing that, in his case, is is kind of put on uh, as like a, a character trait that he wears, subconsciously or not, um, and that he actually does struggle with quite a bit. You have something you want to say, and I have actually no idea what this means because I've never seen it but something about never-ending story okay right okay so uh, yes um so pardon me if i go off on one for a little bit um but to me this this notion of um desire and of and of um believing in things and wanting them to be real um and specifically um the way that it I would frame it in in Jake's case is um, is wish making specifically. So I th- I, I don't know we, we, if you would agree, but um, to me the hope aspect definitely um, in Jake's case is is the is an aspect that's deeply related to the to the the notion of of making wishes, specifically in the case of wishes being these sort of magical things uh, that that come true or not so the never ending story is is basically the one of the main sources of inspiration of homestuck act 6 basically it's where um it's it's where almost all of the imagery related to uh, calliope and caliborn come from um and so it's it's a, a novel that was published in germany in the second half of the 20th century um and it follows the story of a boy, a young boy, about uh, 10 or 12, um, called Bastian. And so uh, what Bastian does is uh, one day on his way to school, he hides in a bookshop from some bullies and uh, f- finds a book there uh, called The Neverending Story. And he steals this book and goes with it to school and hides in the attic of the school to read it. Um, and... Bastian is one of these young people that loves reading books and wishes that he lived in a book. Um, you know, he he reads about adventures and wishes that he was going on them. And for the first half of, of, of The NeverEnding Story, Bastian sits in the attic and he reads uh, a story about a, a young hero um, who goes on a quest to save the world. And um, it's all fine and good and it's, it's, it's enjoyable. And towards the mid the exact midpoint of the book it you you start you as the reader start becoming more and more aware of the fact that the book that bastion is reading also called the never-ending story is aware of his existence outside of the story so characters start having conversations about people which could only be him um and images from his life start turning up in the book things that he says start influencing events in the book itself and halfway through the book uh, spoilers uh, <laughs> he gets sucked into the world of the never ending story itself and 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 then the second half of the book is his journey to sort of um to well at, at the end of the day it's his journey to get back out of uh, out of the the world that he's been sucked into but specifically um on his when when he when he first enters the realm of Fantastica, which is the name of which is the name of the place that uh, the the never ending story is set in, 
he um he's given this amulet called Orin, which is um uh it is uh, it's an uh, an amulet with two snakes one black and one white um in in the book it's they are in an oval but in in the film they form the the, the formation that uh cherubs mating do around the black hole if you remember that image from somewhere in act 6 uh when Arania is talking about cherubs he's given this amulet and the point the amulet is has on it written on the back uh do as you wish. Um, and Bastion's, the rest of Bastion's journey is essentially a grappling with the wording on the back of this amulet because it, it grants him the ability to make wishes and have those wishes come true. Um, but what happens is that he will make a wish and in return, the amulet takes a memory from him. And it's always a memory which is in a sense the reason why he made the wish in the first place. So, for example, the first wish he makes with the amulet, I believe, is that he wishes to be uh, very strong and brave. Um, and he immediately becomes so, but he then forgets that he ever w was weak and uh, cowardly as a, as a, as a child. Um, so the wish, the point of the wish almost undoes itself. And that, that process repeats itself on his journeys through Fantastica and he keeps making more and more wishes and forgetting more and more about himself. And then at the very end of the story, um, he's forgotten everything about himself apart from his own name and even then he forgets that. But in, but in return, he has realised what it was that he was actually wishing for all of those previous times when he made all of his previous wishes, which is that he desperately wishes for the ability to love other people and to have the ability to be loved by them um, in return. Um, and specifically in the case of The NeverEnding Story, this, is, this relates to his father because Bastion has a quite... Uh, he has a quite cool relationship with his father and, and uh, it... Uh, the... the by the at the end of the story, he, um, it, it, the two of them reconcile. Uh, it's quite emotional, and and on, on, honestly, I would recommend everyone read this book because it's very it's very very homestuck and it's very important to understanding of homestuck. But specifically to me, it's important to understanding Jake's relationship with his aspect. Jake makes quite a lot of wishes over the course of his life, doesn't he? Um, so I mean, the the robot is perhaps the the first most pertinent example that that you can think of right and uh well i mean how would you just how would you describe his relationship with with this piece of equipment i feel like it's uh it's sort of a case of be careful what you wish for kind of you know but i also feel like robot is really interesting because i feel like if it was left in its sort of natural state as it was intended to be by Dirk fighting robot that Jake can fight. And if he sets it to an easier level, it'll be a little bit easier and he can like, you know, move up the levels and get better. Yes. Right. But I feel like the interference from, um, is kind of what puts me off about robot because 
he says that when it's on the novice setting, it's a little, quote, tender for his liking, unquote. Yes. And I don't want to get too into Dirk Jake just yet. Just yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually like it that much. And I feel like it's important to Jake's character, but it's also not something I'm fond of. So I'd rather like you do the talking on that one. But I feel like me off personally, because it feels like he's being touched or he's being dealt with in a way that he doesn't like, but he doesn't know how to say, I don't like this. Because he doesn't want to sound ungrateful or broach this, like, really kind of uncomfortable topic that he's trying to avoid, especially as it complicates the real Dirk's feelings for him and his feelings for Dirk and everything all, you know, in that horrible romantic mess that the Alpha Kids kind of get themselves into. It is an absolute nightmare. I don't know. And it's hard to say exactly what the robot would have been like if the AR had never existed, you know, precedent for that. But I think... In either, it's kind of, I don't know, it's definitely kind of be careful what you wish for, I guess. Yes, yeah. Kind of uh, a thing. So that, that's, essentially what I, that's essentially what I'm trying to get at with, 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 with this notion of, of Jake's wishmaking. Because um, the robot is, is the first example. Um, and uh, what happens with, what then goes on and happens with, with Dirk uh with Jane, uh, with Arania, and Brain Ghost Dirk, I think, are all examples of Jake wishing for something and then getting it, and um, it being different in some way than he had imagined when he made the wish in the first place. Um, And him sort of... I'm not sure if he ever... In the story itself, I'm not sure that Jake really comes to the same sort of revelation about these wishes that Bastion does in The NeverEnding Story. But to me, it, there's this common theme through all of them that he... They are ways in which he wants to connect with other people. He wants to connect with his friends. He wants to be, you know, brave and strong so that he, uh, so that he will be able to... Um, I don't know, so that he'll be able to keep up with them in in the game or whatever. Like it, it's a lot of it is selfishness, but it, at the same time, it comes through a, a desire to be more uh, connected with the people that he cares about. I feel like, especially later in Act Six, one of the um, one of the things that stands out to me is the. Um, the alpha kids have after the trickster arc when they're all sitting on their crypts and waiting to die conversation with roxy i think it about his character he didn't know he he's he wants to connect he wants to say sorry to dirk he wants to say sorry to jane to be you know he wants to be with his friends but he feels like him and that they're leaving him behind and he even says this he's like he's waiting for Roxy to reply because she's talking to Jane at the time and he's kind of freaking out like oh please don't leave me too I don't want to you know leave me behind you know and it really kind of shows that his anxieties about his friends and that he feels like he's not 
for them or that they don't actually like him as much as they say they do. And I feel like that also, like, in, like, act one of act six, or maybe it's act two, I'm not sure. But he says, like, <laughs> I have a, it's hard to keep track of all of them. But he says, like, Roxy and he, about Jane, I think it is. And he's like, I feel like maybe Jane has feelings for me, but I don't want to, you know, be tooting my own horn. I don't want to think I'm hot shit. So yeah, maybe yeah. I'm imagining the whole thing, you know? And I think he's just really anxious about not as liked as he is, or like not knowing how his friends actually feel about him, you know? Yeah. I I was reading through uh, the part that you're talking about uh, earlier today, just to sort of refresh my Jake memory. And yeah, to me, it, it seems like Jake definitely has, he has a perception, a very good perception of, of the way that his friends feel about him. But he sort of, he buries it under quite a lot of layers um, and sort of second guesses it a lot of the time. Um, and is immediate, like it, as soon as he has any kind of evidence to the contrary, no matter how flimsy, he immediately will seize upon that because to him it often makes the situation much less complicated. Um, that's that's one of the things that that Jake sort of says, and this comes up in his late his conversation after this one with Roxy, or maybe a couple of conversations down the line. Uh, he he talks to. Roxy about, yes, that's right. He has a fight with Brobot, um, who you know, beats the shit out of him. And that's not all there is to say on the matter, actually. Um, Jake has quite a lot to say on, on the matter. And then Dirk's not there. Um, and then he f- loses consciousness, sees Arania, wakes up, talks to Roxy, who says, no, you can't fancy this blue spider woman. You've got to talk to Jane. And then he has this conversation with Jane, the painfully funny conversation that he has with Jane, um, where he asks her, like, do you have feelings for me? And she says no. And then the the chaos sort of continues from there. Ah. And like, just the one word response, no, is enough to com- sort of for him to completely drop this notion that he's been he's obviously been thinking about quite a lot actually because um, he sort of he sort of dances around it in all the conversations that he has with Jane up until that point. Um, wow. And it, I think he says to Roxy that it's been something he's been thinking about a lot. But then as soon as Jane says anything to the contrary, he's just like, "Oh, well, that's great. That that that." removes a complication from my life. Let's talk about Dirk. Ah. <laughs> um and it's like he I I to me it's like he's he he does have such a flimsy grip on on the way that his friends do actually care about him that he's very quick to almost discard that um which which is i think why it's so easy for him when things actually do go wrong and it is kind of you know, well i mean it's all their fault but jake definitely contributes as well and 
when a, gen, a legitimate problem comes up that he can't avoid thinking about, it's very easy for him to immediately jump to the conclusion that his friends genuinely don't like him and that uh, he, he'll he have to give up on the idea of being their friends. Uh-huh. At the end... I feel that kind of leads into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is I feel like stands out to me among the kids. Well, okay, I won't say that actually, but <laughs> Jake is ND, baby. <laughs> That's what I have written in the ND, baby. Yeah, so do you want um, to, uh, well, I mean, obviously you're going to expand that. Could you, could you define, define what you mean for the benefit of our lovely listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so ND, in this case, it stands for uh, neurodivergent, which is, you know, someone who has um, has a mental illness, um, like myself. Mm. Really, I don't know. The reason I'm so, I love, I like Jake so much. And the reason I was so excited to come on the podcast and talk about him is how much I relate to him and how I relate kind of to his social anxiety and feeling like, you know, double, you know, what's the word? Overthinking things like that and wondering, do my friends actually like me or are they just being polite and they don't actually want anything to do with me? Kind of stuff like that, you know? So, I guess that's all I have to say. I just, I think that... <laughs> no, um, that's an experience that, uh, well, I I know I can, um, I certainly uh can relate to um the the homestuck cast i think it's it's undeniable has a quite a quite a large number of the characters uh struggle with with some kind of neurodivergence um oh yeah for sure um uh, to uh, to me i've always i've always related almost exactly the same way but to dirt more strongly um just because um to me, whereas uh, Jake externalizes a lot of his anxieties, and he, he actually does talk to people about them, um, he he actually he, he ends up blathering on insufferably to to them. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, it's what makes Jay, Jane finally snap at him it, uh, is is his inability to stop talking about uh, about his own problems, um, which is uh, is which is also something that uh, I mean. That's I feel like most... is a symptom of his neurodivergence is that he kind of gets in his own head a lot and has trouble picking up on, especially later in Act 6, he has trouble picking up on when his friends, in that instance, he's not really realizing Jane is not happy with being talked at about his issues, but he, he's not really, you know, and I think that's definitely... Um, a symptom of his issues. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's definitely a very um that is a is a is a way of 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 looking at it that definitely brings brings a lot um to bear on his character and I think it definitely um it definitely it definitely adds a lot, I think. Um as someone who also also has uh, struggle with this kind of thing um jay i i i find it in in my reading of jay i find it important to also while while on the one hand um 
giving full weight to this to this um and you know this this aspect of him and his relationship with uh with neurodivergence and and but also to to frame it in terms of um the fact the fact that uh Jake is um Jake has a quite Jake has a function in the story I would argue similarly to how Tavros does um and this is probably the only time we're going to talk about Tavros because I'm <laughs> not particularly we'll compelled about, by I him talk about Tavros. <laughs> I can talk about Tavros plenty <laughs> but but um but Tavros and Jake both are, I would, I would say, deliberate uh, uh, allusions to um, the sorts of characters in that you see a lot in stories that are almost always boys. Um, they are the 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 unlikely hero. They're the person who starts the story off kind of weak and not not able to do very much i mean it, it, it this is the it's the page archetype in a nutshell right they they are they are in the service of people of much greater means than themselves they don't have much to do or say for themselves or that they can do for themselves but the understanding of the story is that you better watch out because at some point down the line they're going to do something quite extraordinary and um they will be uh, we we had a listener question about this actually let me just let me just see see who asked this um jet gray the prince of light asks on discord is jake english the neville longbottom of homestuck and uh, while i wouldn't say maybe he is he is the neville longbottom of homestuck that's what his character that's the sort of thing his character is definitely meant to evoke to us and tavros is too and so to to me uh what Jake gets up to um in act 6 is is important for my reading of him anyway it's important to read in light of this because um Homestead doesn't take much truck with this idea that boys who are not really good at very much are somehow owed importance in a story um that is significantly larger than them um and Vriska's frustration with Tavros um, is quite, and we're getting our, our mandated Vriska uh, mention in here. Um, but Tavros, uh, Vriska's frustration with Tavros as a girl in a story um, who is who she's as a girl aware. she's very aware aware of the fact she's in a story she's very aware of the fact she's in it she's very aware of the fact that she has a great deal of influence in it or that she at least has the potential to influence it whereas Tavros doesn't and she knows that he doesn't um but the fact that he still believes that he does because of this page archetype this this kind of boy hero thing that he he play that he believes in a lot uh, to my mind, it's it's important to understand their dynamic from that perspective. That Vriska is a subversion of a lot of things, but also her relationship with Tavros is a sub is a very deliberate subversion of the kind of relationship that happens in a lot of stories, where this very competent girl is friends with a frankly very useless boy, but it's the boy who ends up 
being the hero at the end of the day. I think, I think part of the page's story, actually, and this is, this is, I think applies both to Tavros and to Jake. I feel like that about pages, what's given to us about pages by like, Calliope says so, and Vriska says this, is that and it takes a really, really long time for them to grow, but once they hit their full potential, extremely, very, very powerful. But what I think, and I noticed this for both of them, I'm not talking about Horus. I'm never talking about No, we're Horus. never talking about uh, Horus. <laughs> but what happens is Tavros amasses this huge army of ghosts, but he's like, oh, no, I'm not fit to lead this. And he immediately gives the reins over to Mina because he's done his job. He's played his part. And he did something incredible, but he knows that that's the extent of his story is to, you know, be the guy who ship and with the power of whatever that is. <laughs> whatever know, it gets is. All these ghosts. The, the breath aspect has to do with friendship. And I can understand that. But again, this is not really about Jake. But my point is, he does this thing. And this is what he was meant to do. And he does it. But it's not maybe the most... It happens in the story. Certainly not as cool as... The, um, the Juju. Or, you know, Dave slicing off Dirks and... Um, and... Um, Jack times two. You know, yeah, stuff like that. The, yeah. Jack times two. And Dirk and you know stuff like that but he does something and it's really kind of cool but he knows that you know he's done this and he's done and I think Jake kind of does the same thing in Kali where he defeats maybe the most dangerous of the of all the um enemies that are that have to be dealt with in Collide. you know and his scenes with them are pretty goofy they all stop to you know munch on cookies together but at the end he's standing atop this huge pile He's defeated them, and he's just like, I did this. You know, I did something, and I that's, did this. you know, kind of... <laughs> this is something I can what... claim as an achievement. Exactly, and I think that's a And that's kind of why I relate to being a page. I don't want to turn this into, like, page talks all about their, you know, emotional struggles, <laughs> but that's kind of... I, and that's kind of why... And that's why I identify as a page. That's why I've chosen that as my... Um, class is because that just that you know you don't have to be the most amazing but you can do something and if it makes you happy and if it's you know something that and it's worthwhile you know yeah yeah I definitely I definitely think that's a very good way of, of putting it um I think that's where Homestuck's criticism of the page archetype um is, is where it ends up it because um this or I think the way that Homestuck frames it in Taurus's case, it's a very, it's 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 clearly a sort of, there is a desire there on his part to be a kind of a hero, and it puts him in conflict with Friska, who's overwhelmingly more qualified to be a hero than he is. In in Jake's case, the desire is also there, but it does feel a lot more like an obligation that he has, and to um, and uh, this actually um relates to something that uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, talk about that, that comes up in, you know, as soon as we meet Jake uh, in the story in person, which is the fact that he is, he is, um, 
he's essentially presented as a as a kind of a dare to the reader in a big game of um oh, excuse me in a big game of red herring chicken essentially because uh, an overwhelming amount of evidence is presented as soon as he is introduced linking him to lord english right so, I mean, were his surname for one thing, um, all of Computers. all of the stuff, basically all the stuff in his room. Yeah, like he likes skulls, specifically green ones. Um, his int- his introduction specifically mentions losing his right leg in order to go on an adventure, which later on you find out is literally what Caliborn does. Um, and uh, by that point, we know that Lord English has has a a, a golden right leg. Um, uh, and then he he dresses up in Lord English's outfit, doesn't he? Um, and so basically, there's this overwhelming amount of evidence that links him that links him to Lord English. And there's also the to pick up on something that was talked about in last week's episode. Um, unfortunately, uh, we're, I'm not going to mention him by name, but another hope player, another two hope <laughs> players, in fact. Um, both are set up as as like having some mystic destiny to fight um, a, a, a deadly wizard or demon or something who is quite clearly supposed to be Lord English. But both of them fail and they pass on the mantle to another hero of hope. And so at the end of the line, we have Jake. And so he, together with his this relationship to Lord English, that's that's very heavily implied. And also this 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 lineage that he has through the hope aspect in particular um it definitely feels like the story is almost obliging jake to do something important related to lord english right it's not that necessarily he wants to or that he has any understanding of what the of 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 what that even means but the story is putting so much evidence in favor of it happening that it, it is almost an obligation that he will have to fulfill at some point um and then he does yeah, and then he does, and th- that's the funny thing. He does it in the masterpiece. Um, he scores Lord English's first ever and only uh, defeat until uh, until Act Seven, um, and we find out the reason why Jake has has. Well, we find out why he shares a name with Lord English, and it's another mind mind fucking paradox uh, because Jake is na- Jake we find out earlier on is named after lord english jane uh, jane uh, jade his grandmother <laughs> takes takes the name lord english screw all these children in their j j a starting names it's so confusing and annoying um but so grand grandma jade takes lord english's name as a slight against her imperious condescension because she's been in his servitude for thousands of years and uh jade uh, jade wants to get back at her so one of the things that she does is she takes lord english's surname so so that's how jake ends up with it and then the way that lord english names up being named that way is because jake has this defeat that he uh that he w- uh, the victory that he that he uh wins in the masterpiece and uh, Caliborn decides he'll take Jake's name as a sign of respect. Ah. So the two of them are named after each other. 
um, which is just one of the many paradoxes that Homestuck likes to play with. And um, one of the things about, you know, that you sort of think with these paradoxes, okay, well, where, if, if, if one of them was named after the other, but that, what that one was also named after the, the first one, like, where did the name English even come from in the first place? Like, it sort of spontaneously arose out of paradox space somehow. And the way I like wow. to think about it is that the name English is, um, comes about because of this uh, this um, cultural idea in American movies specifically that English people always play the villains. <laughs> 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 and um, to me, that is the most, like, obviously Lord English was originally named Lord English way before Jake, um, way before Jake was a thing. Um, he was named Lord English because he was the leader of the felt, uh, a, a billiards-themed or a pool-themed uh, group, right? So you've got the, 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 the subordinates who all, um, all have names which are appropriate to the numbers on their cue ball, on, on their, their pool balls. You've got Doc Scratch, who is um, named after the cue ball itself. And then Lord English is named after the, it's an American word, English is, is, a, is a word for a, a type of spin uh, on a ball, um, particularly if it's talking about a ball in pool or billiards. So that's, that's where his name originally comes from. I also think Andrew Hussey probably did name him English additionally as, as a, oh, maybe not probably, but I like to think that it would it was a neat little cultural nod to the fact that English people do play villains in Hollywood movies a lot of the time. Um, and so Jake, ha- you know, Jake has a connection uh, to movies specifically. So, so it, it, it's not quite so um, odd a connection as you might think. Um, and also just as an aside, I, I did want to say at some point, uh, Jake is not British. <laughs> <laughs> Just because a character's name is English does not mean he is English. I mean, he is English, but he's not English, if you know what I mean. Um, and just uh, as as you know, as as a British reader of as a British reader of Homestuck, as a colonial, <laughs> as representing an old colonial power, um, Jake doesn't speak in he doesn't speak in British English. He, his slang is not British English; it's American English. It's old American English, but it is American nonetheless. Um, and if you read his like one of the only conversations he ever has with Calliope, who is who does sound British and who is explicitly said by Dirk to sound British, um, and who uses British English when she speaks and types. Um, because she loves yous and she wants to put them in as many words as possible. So yes, she loves you. Yeah, exactly. She um, loves you. She Calliope spells colour with a U as it should be. But Jake doesn't. Uh, Jake Jake um, very much uh, is, is American and this is very boring and that's all I was going to say about it. As you can be when you're living on an island in the middle of the Pacific. I think Jade makes a joke about that where yeah, J- Jade is like I'm an American <laughs> and, and is it is it Dave is like yeah you live in you live in 
fucking Guam or whatever. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's the completely wrong side of the US, but okay. Yeah. Um, God. Oh, Lord. We've been going... I think- <laughs> we've been going so long there's just so much to say about Drake English we've barely got any of the way through this fucking outline um, uh, that's so good <laughs> that's okay I um, sorry w- what were you going to say I said that's I mean that's okay I've got <laughs> I only have one other thing I need to say but I don't need to say it so it's fine oh no I mean go ahead I mean we're going to go as long as needed and then Kate can just cut it down because Kate has to deal with it <laughs> Yeah, because frankly, there is just so much to talk about. And she doesn't even know it because she doesn't like boys. And they then proceeded to talk for another hour, which, let's face it, is very Jake English. I'm going to edit the second part of this episode. I'm going to edit that hour and post it in a few days as part two of the Jake episode. Um, Until then, that's our show. Uh, Thank you so much to Pip and Paige for coming on and covering for me. I've been incredibly busy at work. Um, this week, the season's in full swing. Um, the most important thing is Perfectly Generic Podcast Live is going to be coming up on March 24th at 6 p.m. at the Guild Hall Bar in Burbank, California. You can go to perfectlygenericpodcast.com slash live to RSVP. You can join Pip, Paige, myself, Austin, Heather, James, Aisha, Dia, and Optimistic Duelist as we answer the simple question... What about Homestuck is most personally meaningful to us? The music this week is Perfectly Generic by Gumi, president for life of the Perfectly Generic music team. Um, Gumi's got a new EP, Flowerverse, out, which you can find at smoothiefruity.bandcamp.com. The link's in the description. It's fantastic. Give it a listen. Uh, it also includes a bonus track remix of Doctor from Homestuck. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review. It helps us out a ton twitter.com slash pgenpod you can find our hosts this week on twitter pip is at tufty frog and Paige is at killia kill that's k-i-l-l-i-a-k-i-l-l look forward to part two of the podcast coming up probably on sunday thank you so much for listening keep rising <laughs>